If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. This is our number two of the World According to Zig podcast for this July 9, 2017 my name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show, which is still one of the very few places where you can get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. This being hour number two, it means it's time for our special guest of the week, and we're very excited about uh, this week's guest. He is Michael Steele, who you probably know is the former head of the Republican Party. He's also a MSNBC commentator, a talk show host on Sirius Satellite Radio, and he also happens to be a fellow Georgetown Hoya. Uh, Michael, hey, hey. Michael, Michael Steele, welcome to the podcast. All right, good to be with you. All right, uh, a lot of reasons why I wanted to have you on the show and why, not, why I'm very interested to speak to you. Um, one mm-hmm. of which, to be very clear, you know, it's, it's amazing how Trump has changed the world and everyone's perspective. I, I used to see you as kind of like a liberal Republican, and now, <laughs> and, and now, and now, post Trump, I look at you and go, "Well, at least he's a Republican." So, right, right, right. Well, actually, I, I, I'm quite the conservative, believe it or not. That tells you how how messed up things have come, uh, how far around the curve we've come. That uh, it, that line is so blurred these days; it is hard to distinguish. And that's what's happened to the politics. The party capitulated on a lot of things to win an election in 2016. Um, you had uh, evangelical conservatives who were more interested in the Supreme Court uh, nominee than they were in the principles and values that they had, uh, you know, held everyone up uh, against for almost 30 years. So you had this whole new dynamic uh, that took place uh, in this election cycle that uh, we're now sitting here reaping the benefits from. <laughs> I'm waiting for those benefits. I'm waiting for all the winning. I'm waiting. For, can, you, can you tell me when the winning is coming, Michael? Because I'd, I'd like to see some winning. I was promised a lot of winning. Um, That's precisely the point. All right, yes, exactly. All right. Well, let, let's go back a little bit because uh, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by how this whole thing happened and everyone's, uh, you know, who was at least tangentially involved's perspective on this. But you, uh, you did, you did not vote for Trump. Uh, no. You have referred to him as crazy. You have predicted that he will not serve out his full term. By the way, do, are you standing by that prediction that he will not serve his full term? I mean, you know, my my point was, and I, you know, I love how the media takes a lot of stuff out of context, even though I talk with them every day. The the fact was that Donald Trump is the kind of guy that if he gets uh, a significant portion of his agenda done. 
um, he's done. He's like, okay, what else is there to do? This is a guy who has a history of not uh, lingering around and not, um, you know, trying to uh, do more than he feels he needs to do. And so if he gets health care done, he gets a tax reform done, he's able to get the process underway uh, on border security. Uh, yeah, you could see him looking at this term and going, okay, um, what else? Because that's what he ran on, and he's very been very uh, specific about that. I'm not buying into all of this impeachment craziness and all of that stuff. I'm just talking about the guy I know and have worked with, um, that when he feels he's done the job, he doesn't, you know, there's no need to stick around and, and pretend that there's more to do when he's accomplished the things he says he will. Now, the presidency is obviously different. Um, and, you know, that, that very well may uh, bring a different level of pressure on him and uh, his decision to fill out his term. But, uh, I mean, I think it's important to understand the man and how he looks at problem solving. And, and once he's solved the problem, what, what his history has shown uh, he's capable of doing. Okay, so to be clear, because you've said some things that I, maybe I guess they were taken out of context by, by the dreaded uh, fake news media uh, right. that, that indicated that you thought that he would be removed from office, but you've, you've all, you, you, no, you, no, you, no, no, no. Okay. No. You, you believe no, that I've never, he, no, I, I said, Donald, if Donald Trump leaves early, it's going to be on his own volition. It won't be okay. because someone's removed. Him. Right. Right. Now, now the, the premise of that was that he would have actually accomplished his agenda. I don't see any right. sign of that. Do you and, and No, which means he'll probably be around for the full four years. <laughs> I mean, because this has been the hard part for 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 the president and and of course uh, Republicans on Capitol Hill is having a meeting of the minds on exactly what the goal and objectives are going to be. What are the legislative priorities? Uh, the president's priority was not health care. Everyone needs to disabuse themselves of that idea. It was not health care. It was tax reform. Uh, health care was the priority of the chief of staff, Reince Priebus, and the speaker of the house. Uh, Paul Ryan. And, and so that's how the White House and the Hill sort of uh, collaborated to move forward on that on that agenda. So uh, they led with health care. It has turned out to be a debacle. Uh, it has created more problems for the administration and an overall legislative agenda. Uh, and the president, as you've seen, has been all over the map. He's called it mean. He said he likes it. He doesn't like it. Um, and that's because generally... The president is agnostic on health care. He is not someone who's ever articulated um, a foundational principle or uh, anything of a philosophy around what the role of government should be when it comes to our nation's health care system. That's not Donald Trump. It never has been. And any expectation that it will be is foolhardy. So uh, you see this waffling in and out of the conversation. Sometimes the administration is behind an initiative. Sometimes they're not. Even when they say they are, later in the day, the president says something in an interview or a tweet that indicates that he doesn't like it, which is probably speaks more truth to where he is than any pronouncement or third-party uh, uh, perspective that's uh, articulated inside the administration. Well, Michael, to be fair, though, nobody knew that health care was so complicated. No, they didn't. And, you know, and it's, it's little things like that <laughs> that makes this all the more problematic for the administration, discovering the stuff that's really complicated. Um, and we've seen it uh, in, in foreign policy. We've seen it in domestic policy. Uh, and the administration just has to come to some, you know, what is the one thing we want to get the first win on? Well, uh, I think that's tax reform, but we'll see. 
All right, let, let, one more thing on the health care. Uh, I want you to pretend uh, that you, you were still the head of the Republican Party, which in, in, this, right. in this world would be you know, really playing pretend. Uh, um, but let's, pre- <laughs> let's pretend that you're still the head of the Republican Party. And a Republican president had held a, uh, a celebration <laughs> in, the, on the, in the Rose Garden for a mm-hmm. health care bill passing the House. And, mm-hmm. then, and then that Republican president hangs out all the Republican members who voted for that to dry by calling it publicly a mean bill. What's your reaction in the off in your office as the head of the Republican party? When you hear about that, Uh, there would have been some things thrown across the room uh, for sure. Uh, But I will tell you straight up before we even got, uh, before someone got on a bus, I would have made it very clear to the leadership that uh, such celebrations should not be done. Uh, it is premature, uh, and you look su- uh, silly. You look foolish doing it. Uh, I, re- you know, we all remember the reaction to uh, some some genius putting up on the aircraft carrier mission accomplished uh, when President Bush was visiting the aircraft carrier in advance of uh, some anticipation of the end of the war in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Uh, that was uh, far from uh, the actualities, and it made the president. Um, look foolish, and that's not something you ever want to put a president in the position of. You certainly don't want the leadership to be in that position, and you make a very good point. The president then turns around and pretty much throws the very people who were down there having beer and chips with him uh, at the, at the, in the Rose Garden, uh, threw them under the very same bus that they rode to that uh, celebration on. So. And, and, and to be clear, that's going to have an impact, regardless of what happens with health care. I mean, Absolutely. tell us what you think that impact will be. Well, I think the impact is, is, is you're already beginning to see it. Um, there is no real consensus about, behind what a Republican health care plan looks like, um, which is pathetic after seven years of preaching, uh, you know, repeal and replace. I remember when I was in uh, the um, uh, position to, to really do battle on this, uh, in addition to going after Obamacare, we also put out, uh, for example, a, a seniors' health care bill of rights, where we made it very clear to our senior citizens what Republicans would do to protect uh, their interest in uh, the social safety net, or, you know, Medicare, Social Security, for example. Got roundly criticized for it, but it was very popular with voters, and it was one of the pieces that helped us uh, bring voters to Republican uh, support to support Republicans in 2010. So this idea that uh, you're, you're going to go out there and, and sort of take something away that is now ingrained in the fabric of America, as much as you may hate that, right. um, is just not going to work. I mean, right. are you prepared to go have a conversation with a mother who's got health care for her child for the first time and tell her, oh, by the way, we're now going to make your son's right. pre-existing condition optional in your state? Who's going to do that? Well, Michael, I, I I agree with you politically that that was the point of no return. Once the Republican Party accepted and embraced pre-existing conditions, uh, you know, as 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 something that could not disqualify but somebody. Already, but but this, let's be clear: they always had. Mm. This was not a new phenomenon of supporting pre-existing conditions. Go mm. back and look at the the Heritage Plan mm. in the 1990s. It very much was a, a, a uh, plan that no, took I get into it. account pre-existing conditions. No, so no, I get, I get it. This is in foreign territory for Republicans, which is why this is so strange, the way they react to it. Okay, but, but politically, though, just to finish this point, 
politically and why I asked you to put on your, your, your old hat as the head of the Republican Party, Trump has really put his own party in a, in a heck of a position here, regardless of what the outcome uh, of this yeah. health care situation is, because now every Republican in a tough district next year in, in, in Congress has to defend Trump, of all people, calling the bill they voted for as mean. That's not a position yeah. you want to be in. Yeah, is it was it mean then or is it mean now? Yeah. Now that twenty three more million people are you know are going to have health care, so that's the that's the political slash messaging problem Republicans are going to face going the next year. Which is why, to his credit, the president's instincts were not you know not to lead with that. Uh, he wanted to score uh, strong economic wins on the on on tax reform, whether it's tax cuts repatriation of offshore uh, uh, revenue, whatever, um, to sort of stimulate the economy, start laying down tracks on jobs, and then going back and, and once you've got a better picture for your revenue side, dealing with um, something as contentious as health care. Remember, the president said, you know, let's do nothing and just let Obamacare implode in on its own self. Mm-hmm. And then we can lay that at the feet of, of Democrats mm-hmm. and come to the table with reforms. And the thinking was, at least as I understand it from some folks inside, was that they at least would have then have been able to establish some, some real revenue streams that would allow them to pay for the kinds of things that they're talking about now at much less cost and risk uh, to, uh, to consumers. A lot obviously can happen and will happen between now and, and the midterm elections. But let's just presume that we remain on the same basic path where we are, where there's basically gridlock and where there's no real winning. And, you know, there's a huge backlash among the liberal base against Trumpism. It, right. it, again, putting on your uh, Republican Party head hat, would you rather be in, in, in the Republican Party uh, or the Democratic Party when it comes to who's likely to come out ahead in those elections next year right now? I'd rather be the Democratic Party right now because they have the up. The upside on messaging, they've got they've got a unified message, even though it's not that unified. I mean, in, in other words, they can speak against what Republicans are doing uh, to take health care away from people who've got it, right? Mm-hmm. So that that is a unified unifying message. What's the what's the unifying message from Republicans? You can't even get anyone to stand in front of a camera long enough to say Trump care mm-hmm. or we support this bill or this is why this is an important bill to get passed. Who, who said that? I mean, not even the people who are pushing it, like Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell didn't give a damn about this health care bill. He wants it off his desk. But this which, thing could which... die, die on the vine as far as he's concerned, because this is not what he wants to deal with. I, so, I agree with that. But to that point, is it better for Republicans if this thing goes nowhere and never passes? Or, or is it at least or let me different, like, different way? Is it less bad for Republicans if this passes <laughs> or if it nev- never passes? It's less bad if it never passes, because at least then you're not on the hook with a vote. Um, then you can you can then go back and well the house the wait a minute the house, the house Republicans are on the hook for, for a mean vote I mean well, that, that, that that's on them that's on them yeah. and that's gonna that's gonna be a political entanglement that they're gonna have to disentangle themselves from mess in terms of message right um, you know because they can say we voted for this now if their district is solidly behind that vote okay good they're they're safe 
But when you get into those areas that Obama won right. uh, or Hillary Clinton won, uh, then and, and there are Republican districts like that, despite what people may believe, right. um, then it becomes a little bit more of a dance for them. And so you'd rather, regardless of how this shakes out either way, you'd rather be in a position that that makes it less defensive for you. In other words, right. you can find some footing to take an offensive message and go forward and say, yes, now, you know, yes, this didn't work. I made a principled vote, but I'm ready. You know, we need to pull together and get this done, you know, bipartisanship, whatever, whatever your language happens to be. Of another vote really locks the party in. Um, and keep in mind, any premium increases in 2018, any uh, deductible increases in 2018, anyone who loses their doctor uh, or, or anything that's on a negative slope uh, for, on health care, that's going to rest in the Republican bucket. And going into 2018, that's not the space you want to be in. I, I agree with almost everything you just said. Uh, whether it's you know right or wrong is another matter, but that's perception is the reality, and that's the world it's we live the reality. in. Reality. Yeah. All right, now let's go back um, to to the primaries because one of the things I'm fascinated to hear your thoughts on, Michael, as the former head of the Republican Party, obviously you get a real good sense of the infrastructure of the party, the the rank and file. Uh, the people, and, and they, by the way, these are people who have been doing this for years. It's not, there's not a massive changeover, either the local level or the national level, uh, when it comes right. to who is, who is running the party. And when, when the primaries were going on, I was actually one of those, even though I never thought he would beat Hillary Clinton. I had no problem believing that Trump would win the nomination because I understood that the, the conservative media industrial complex was going to sell out to him for ratings. I knew that he had a right. very strong base of support. I knew that going up against 16 different candidates was very much to his advantage because no one had his celebrity and no one had his access to media. And all that turned out to pretty much as I feared or expected. The one part of this equation, and this is what I want to ask you about, that really shocked me was I thought that within the party structure that there would be some significant resistance to this. Well, you know, and yet, in, in, when it came down to it, this was effectively a coup d'état uh, of yeah. the Republican Party, and no one within the party structure fought the coup at all. Am I right? No. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And which is why, you know, what I said earlier in our conversation about we saw, you know, constituencies within the Republican Party fall like dominoes. Uh, uh, and and you 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 had to scratch your head and go, what the hell are you looking at that I'm not seeing that says that this is going to end well? Right. <laughs> and the re- and the reality the reality of it is, we elected we nominated a man who is not a Republican who's not a conservative. Right. And all these folks running around pretending both of those things are true are fooling themselves. And you you see it and will see it play out. Um, over the course of these four years. Uh, Now, the party has got to be prepared to reconcile itself with that reality. Does a Trump voter, however that person is constituted, you know, wherever they are on that ideological line, is that vote weighted more so, uh, more heavily than a, you know, traditional conservative, traditional Republican, rank-and-file Republicans uh, across the country? Because as a percentage of the base, they are a small percentage of the Republican base. 
and yet they carry an enormous amount of weight because of where, how they're composited in various congressional districts, uh, et cetera. So the party's got a lot to reconcile itself with when this is all said and done, whether it's in four years or eight years. Um, the Republican Party uh, that I know I cha- chaired will not exist. And so the question is, what does this new party look like, sound like, and how is it received by the American people? Those are great questions, and I, and I and I think we're on the same page here. But but were you as shocked as I was, knowing the infrastructure way better than than I do? But I, you know, I've been a delegate to a convention and spoken sure. spoken at a lot of these different events to these kinds of people all you know throughout uh, you know where I've been living and in every market I've worked in. So I had a sense of who these people. I thought who these people were, and so were you, Michael, as the former head of the party, not that long ago. Were you shocked? by the fact that there was no resistance to this coup? I was. I absolutely was. Uh, I was shocked. I was disappointed. Um, I watched the other men and women on the Republican primary stage uh, fold like a cheap suit um, uh, in, in the you know, wake of you know, some crazy comment by Donald Trump or some lame brain name-calling that he gave uh, uh, someone. And, and I just, I want you mean to tell me you don't have a comeback for this? You have, right. you don't, you don't have a way to respond to this man talking about your wife, right. or calling you small, or or calling you lazy, or whatever. I, what are you crazy? What are you doing? Yeah. Yet they 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 look past Donald Trump, and they looked at the people who were supporting him and giving him energy. And instead of making a credible argument to them. They stood silent and, and took the incoming from Trump. And once Trump sized them up, he was like, this is not, this is easy. Yeah. Well, and he kept doing it. Well, look, talking more specifically about that infrastructure, the guy who took over for you, Rince Priebus, to me, the, I mean, I knew this thing was over when, when Trump won South Carolina. By that point, it was all over. But there was, there was still at least theoretical possibilities to stop him until I, I don't right. remember which one it was. But there was a debate. You know, towards the end of the process where where Rince basically tells the crowd beforehand, including the television audience, that we're supposed to just lay down now and let Trump win. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that was that was the That's message. That was what I got. And I'm thinking here's the guy who took over for you. What was going on with him? What what? And obviously he ends up getting a job out of the deal, the chief of staff. Right. So so what do you think was really going on there? Well, I think it was, you know, uh, well, there were probably two primary sets of uh, interests here. One was political, the party. The other was personal. What, what can I get out of this for me later on? Uh, and they aligned themselves, I think rather forced alignment, uh, so that um, you wind up with the party leadership in the form of Reince saying what he said at that debate, plus what happened after the, the Access Hollywood uh, tape was revealed. Um, that's when I lost my, that was my turning point. Uh, mm-hmm. Up to that point, I was, I was trying to stay very neutral looking at this, you know, because I'm on TV talking about it, and I'm trying to provide, you know, honest political analysis of what's going on. Um, but that, for me, was the, was the last straw. It was, it was an abrogation, and particularly in combination, um, with his quote at the debate uh, before the Access Hollywood tape uh, that he may not support Hillary Clinton or the nominee, uh, the Republican, I mean, excuse me, the Democratic winner 
uh, Hillary Clinton if uh, she won the election. And I just thought that's not what this country's about. If you, you, we all, the, the big test for the guys on the big stage is how well you lose. Can you lose with style, dignity, and grace? It's not just about the win. It's also about how you lose. And that showed me that, no, he wasn't capable of losing um, in the tradition of this country. And the idea that there could be fomenting of problems uh, beyond the election, reminiscent of 2000, for example, um, but this would be a purely political problem, not, not, not just a legal problem, um, to me was problematic. Then you had to access Hollywood tape. And what did you see the party do? The party leadership, um, other than Wright, started to pull away and go, you know what, this is, this is a bridge too far. Uh, again, crossing those lines where they couldn't reconcile their own principles with the candidate who was standing in front of them. Reince doubled down. And, and basically, if you recall the scene from the new Spider-Man movie where he's got his spider webs hanging on and pulling all these extraneous pieces together, you know, trying to hold this thing together, that's what he did. <laughs> he, he went out and he tried to pull and hold it all together for Trump, and Trump rewarded him. Well, I think that's an interesting way to put it. Um, so let me capsulize what I think you're saying here about, uh, about Priebus. So the, the guy who takes over for you at the Republican Party, who now just coincidentally is the chief of staff uh, uh, for Donald Trump as president of the United States. So Rince sees the coup coming, realizes that to prevent the coup would be politically problematic because you'd have a massive civil war in the midst of a presidential election. And he sees mm-hmm. and he sees from a, pr- a personal standpoint, hey, if this coup is coming, I better get on board because this could be good for me. Is that is that a right. fair assessment that, of what you're that saying? That pretty much sums it up. That pretty much sums it up. And it worked out. Uh, and So Rince Priebus see, sold out. He, he sold out the party then. I mean, some could put it that way, I guess. Um, you know, depend on how you how you draw that line for yourself. But my view is, you know, I would have done some things very differently than he did, obviously, because two different styles. But yeah, his he was able to pull together those pieces, the personal and the political, uh, in such a way uh, that uh, the party didn't necessarily benefit because you went through this. You still had to deal with a whole lot of stuff uh, that was coming out of. Trump campaign that was problematic for for Paul Ryan and other party leaders to have to stand in front of a bank of microphones every day and talk about. But then for his own personal, um, it helped to show up in front of Trump, at least in Trump's eyes, this guy is going to stand in in the breach and fight for me regardless. Right. No which, matter what. Which is what Trump uh, admires more which than Which is what a, Trump prizes more than anything else. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. Unless your name is Chris Christie or Rudy Giuliani or Sarah Palin for some reason. Uh, the, I guess if you, if, right. if, you, if you suck up too much with Trump, he disrespects you. Uh, well, uh, it, it, you suck up too much or you have your own brand. Um, and and that, that to me is something that he's always had a problem with, with individuals who have their own brand uh, in addition to him. So the media could just as easily go to a Chris Christie as they could a Donald Trump, uh, or they could, or uh, you know, particularly if they said something nice about a Chris Christie uh, versus a Donald Trump, that made it even more problem- problematic. All right, a couple quick questions for you, Michael. One thing you just mentioned that I do want to follow up on. You said you would have done things differently than Rince Priebus. What would Michael Steele, as the head of the Republican Party, done? After, say, the Access Hollywood tape? Um, 
That's a good question. I mean, I, I've thought about it, uh, you know, unless you're really in the seat and have the pressures that are coming at you and you've got a presidential election weeks away and you want to win, uh, yeah, you may do some things differently. But I think, you know, I'd like to think that in that circumstance, um, you, you got to go and sit down with the candidate and go, all right, let's really seriously evaluate what this means. Um, maybe, you know, it's a matter of just get through the election and then we pick up the pieces on the other end. Um, you know, this idea that people are, you know, political leaders and, and elected officials are moving away from uh, the party uh, and, and from the nominee, that's a problem. And so you, you, you're stuck trying to balance uh, your, your, your mandate. As chairman, it's, it's very simple. Raise money and win elections. That's right. it. Right. That's your mandate as chairman. Uh, it's not complicated. Um, you have no control over your candidates, per se, right? You, I can't help your bad behavior or your good behavior as a candidate. But as a party, I've got to deal with the consequences that come from that. Um, and so that makes it that much harder when you're four weeks, five weeks out from a general election and something like that drops. What do you do? Uh, my thinking is you try to do the right thing. You, you try to save as much of the election as you can. Uh, I, I don't know if I would have doubled down the way he did, however. Um, and, of course, because, the perception is – I'm sorry, go, go ahead and finish. Because why? What's, no, because, because you, you still have to stand for something. You still have to be about something. And in, for a party that is, it always takes it on the chin when it comes to matters related to women and minorities and, uh, and others um, – and yet we, we, we argue that that's not who we are. Um, you seemingly embrace that, that ugliness uh, of that video. I, I think that's a, a problem. Um, but, look, I probably would have been proven wrong because he won, he won the, the white female vote. Well, <laughs> so well, the, and what that's the a, hell do I know? <laughs> well, the, what the, that's what I was going to say. The perception is, of course, and this boggles my mind, is that Priebus is a genius, basically. He's a winner. I mean, he, he, he picked the right horse. Uh, the Republicans right. won uh, both houses, and they won the presidency. And, and, you know, the winning has never stopped since then, uh, although I, I, I can't find it, but I'm told that it's happening. And, uh, and I think you and I seem to be looking at this the same way, and that is, you know, I believe, Michael, that Trump is a guy who thinks he's going to die tomorrow. Every day is right. a new day, and, and it's whatever's good for him today is all that right. matters. I got two young kids, you know, and so I'm actually looking beyond tomorrow. I, I'm looking mm -hmm. at, okay, what are we going to have 15, 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years from now? And, right. and I think we have exchanged a very minor, incredibly minor, short-term victory for long-term massive loss, uh, both political. Amen. amen on that one? Amen. You, just, you, have, you have encapsulated the 2016 presidential cycle. You have encapsulated for the, for the short-term, narrow-sided victory right in front of you. The party has emasculated its authority, in my view, um, uh, to speak to various groups of people about a host of issues. Uh, and I don't know how you, how you go out and say... Um, trust us, follow us, believe in us, 
um, how you even mention Reagan's name with with any authority, because this is counter to virtually everything Reagan stood for, um, in my view. Uh, I get sick and tired of hearing Republicans going out citing Ronald Reagan, and they clearly don't even know the man. Mm-hmm. They don't even know the man. Um, but <clears throat> the party has got to come to will come to grips with that reality. It will come and take hold in places like Texas and Phoenix and uh, South Carolina. All of these areas around the country are changing demographically. No one's paying attention to that. They think Texas today will be Texas tomorrow. Texas is trending purple. If you don't believe me, mm-hmm. trust me. Just look how many Democrat mayors are cropping up in, in, in cities uh, across Texas. Um, the Democrats have been very, they've been focused on some key areas and regions of the country. And while they complain, and, and rightly so, about not necessarily having the wins at the legislative level um, for the state legislature, and you know that does impact things like redistricting, et cetera, they are winning uh, on city councils uh, and mayor's races and things like that. They're building their team, uh, and they're taking advantage of the demographic changes that are occurring in the various states. And we're just focused on the win. And that's not, that's not how I've done politics in my life. Um, it certainly is not, I think, a successful strategy for a future, and I agree 100% with what you just said. Yeah, well, at least the Democrats still have Nancy Pelosi as the face of their party. Though, they so. do. Now, <laughs> you know, and I say that, and I'm glad you brought that up, because you know, let's be clear. I'm not saying, oh, my God, there's now some power political juggernaut. They're right. not. Right. They, 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 they are a huddled mass in a corner trying to figure out you know, how to stop right. you know, going to the bathroom on themselves. All right. So that's, that's kind of where they are. Re- real quick in our final moments, Michael, and thank you for your being generous with your time, but uh, you know, you work at MSNBC as a commentator, and you know MSNBC is, has been really kind of leading the charge along with CNN on the, the whole Trump-Russia story. And, right. um, and, and I'm curious you know, where you stand on it and, and where your colleagues, what they really believe behind the scenes. I, I'm someone who thinks that there is absolutely – this is not a fake news story. There's absolutely a ton of smoke. It is, it is unbelievably hypocritical – uh, on the part of the conservative media to claim that this is a non-story when if one one-hundredth of what we've learned uh, so far was ever true about Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton, our side would be screaming bloody murder on a 24-7 basis. But uh, where, where do you stand on what's really going on there and, and how much of this is smoke and is there any real fire? I, 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 I agree with what you just said and how you, how you cast that. I, I think that you cannot have the, the, the kind of smoke that's been out there on this, whether it's Michael Flynn uh, and now, you know, revelations about meetings uh, between um, members of the president's uh, team uh, and Russians um, without there being, you know, something. I mean, people say, well, uh, there's smoke, but there's no fire. Well, dude, I mean, how do you get smoke? I mean, smoke <laughs> just don't. Smoke just doesn't happen. There's got to be there's got to be a heat source somewhere. While it may not be flaming, something is generating the heat that's causing the smoke that could ultimately become the fire. That's what uh, the the Mueller uh, investigation is about. Robert Mueller and the special counsel team's investigation will be about um, the president. Uh, much against his own counsel advice, I'm sure, 
has admitted to things that will probably come back to, to bite them on the behind at some point in this. So, you know, Republicans, instead of uh, doing the partisan, you know, shoot down, uh, really need to, as I've said before, move off this issue. You've got a special counsel, let him do his thing. Focus on laying down tracks on a strong legislative agenda. Get some big stuff passed uh, so that if a shoe does drop, if a flame does spark, um, then this administration can look to and, and be somewhat inoculated by uh, the success of getting some big things done. Okay, but, but as you know, you're a guy who's taken a lot of meetings. Uh, you're a former head of the Republican Party. You've been through big campaigns. Let's just take the, the news of the last 24 hours. The news that <laughs> Donald Trump Jr., Paul Manafort, and, and Jared Kushner all met with a Kremlin-linked attorney uh, in Trump Tower to talk about adoptions in the middle of a campaign in June. Uh, now, are you buying that? No. I'm not, and that's the problem. That's the problem. Talk about adoption. Who the hell is adopting what? What are you talking about? And, and that's, that's the frustration, These, the drip drip of revelations um, that, that come out where you see that individuals who have once before said, oh, we had no, there was no contact with anybody in, 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 from Russia. We don't know what you, what, why are you making it. That's fake news. Well, no, it's not fake news. It's a fact. And so now how do you address that? And so labeling something fake news has been, I think, one of the most harmful aspects of this whole uh, episode because it, 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 I think it's a deliberate attempt to blur the lines between what is truth and what is non-truth, Correct. what is a fact Correct. and what isn't a fact. Correct. Um, and and, that's, and that is a very dangerous space uh, to play in, I think. And... So you're going to see more and more of this stuff. The administration is going to find it harder and harder to explain it away. Uh, and then this, this idea of fake news is really going to come back to bite them because they're the ones who are going to be peddling in the fake news. But behind the scenes, though, at, at MSNBC, and I'm not asking for, to name any names, I'm just asking for the, the, the general gist of the, of the culture and, and the mindset there. Do they feel like this story is the real deal and it's just a matter of a time before they have all the goods, or is it more hope on their part? No, I mean, look, the, the, the guys and gals who do the, the hardcore political stuff that you catch in the evening, that, you know, that the folks who are doing uh, more of the political-oriented stuff, the, not, the non, not the news-oriented stuff, which you get during the day. Yeah, they, they, you know, they're sort of grinding their teeth on it from a purely political stance. But the, the day side, as they call it, the folks that are doing news from between 9 and, and 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, um, because a lot of those folks are either White House correspondents or, or journalists in their own right who are following and tracking aspects of the story, um, they believe exactly that, that there is something there. Uh, what they would like and, and, you know, and for the administration to be a little bit more forthcoming about some of that because, you know, what, what happens is the more you say something ain't so, the more they dig to say, well, maybe it is or maybe it isn't, but let's find out. We just can't take it on your word, and particularly given that the word that's come from behind the pulpit uh, of, uh, of the podium, rather, of the administration has not necessarily been able to track itself to truthfulness all the time. <laughs> uh, those, those particular suspicions are raised. So it, it's not a partisan like, oh, gee, now we got them. 
right. uh, kind of air. There's a genuine desire to find out what really happened. Uh, and, and like all Americans, you know, we go back and forth on, on the various shows that I'm on. But when it's all said and done, they want to see the administration. I've heard, you know, uh, guys like Chuck Todd and others say, we want to see this administration succeed, but they make that so hard to do. Uh, and, and that's, I think, true for a lot of Americans out there who want to see success for the president and his team, because that's success for our country, but they make it so hard to do that, to achieve that, when you know, you're not forthcoming about all of your entanglements, about all the relationships, the meetings you've had, the reports aren't filled out correctly, et cetera, et cetera. You still haven't even filled out a significant portion of the cabinet positions that need, you know, sub-cabinet positions that need to be filled out in order to implement the policies that you're trying to, to affect. So there's a lot of moving parts and pieces. All right, last question. Very frustrating. Last question, Michael. So um, obviously, you know, especially with Trump, we can have a black swan event at any moment. But based <laughs> upon based upon what, what we currently think we know, uh, how do you envision the Trump administration? Paint me the picture for for what the situation is when the Trump administration ends. How does it end? You know, what, what's the situation at that point? Well, I'm, you know, I'm going to end it on a hopeful note. I mean, I think that uh, the administration will end with some legislative successes. They've already begun to change the dynamic and the form of this country uh, in terms of its politics. There's no doubt about that. Now, we'll, now we're going to see whether or not they can have the true impact that, you know, Republicans uh, who have been advocating and fighting for particular policy positions over the last few years now that you have the triumvirate, the House, the Senate, and the White House, can you do that? And I think the administration can do that. And I think it'll be a real test, and it'll be difficult. But I think in the end that they can come out, come out on top with some, some legislative successes that, um, you know, put in place some market-based solutions on maybe health care, uh, you know, downsize the tax code, uh, Bring national security and uh, and uh, border security into the same uh, space in a way uh, that uh, protects our interests, but also recognizes, you know, immigration is an important part of growth to our economy. So uh, that part of Trump, I know, is there. The question is w- whether or not he's going to let that, that side of him get out there and uh, and push those things, or is he going to stay stuck on 140 characters? See, my, my greatest fear in this whole, it's not my greatest, but one of my greatest fears in this whole thing is Trump gets elected and turns into a full-on Democrat, because that's who he really is. And, well, there, there is that. <laughs> see, is, yeah. And, and the thing about that is what will be fascinating uh, is to watch uh, Republicans capitulate to that in the, in the name of bipartisanship. Oh, that's what will happen. That's what would happen. Yeah. I mean, and and, yeah. and and in that point, your scenario about the Republican Party being dead it comes to fruition. I mean, at that point, there is no Republican Party. I mean, we can argue yeah. that they might not even exist now. But uh, well, anyway, some, I, some would make that case. <laughs> I think I just some did. Would make that case. I, yeah, I think you just did. <laughs> all right, Michael, thanks so much for your time. It's been great talking to you. You're, it has been great. Love to do it anytime. All right, let's keep in touch. All right, bye. That's Michael Steele, a former head of the Republican Party. You can catch him on MSNBC and on Sirius uh, Satellite Radio. And a very interesting discussion, to say the least. Uh, So uh, we appreciate that. And um, 
We look forward to our next guest in hour number two of the World According to Zig podcast. As is always the case, I ask only two things of you. Uh, please just to share this podcast via social media or word of mouth because I do this for free and it's the only way anyone's ever going to find out about what we do. And I think some of it's at least uh, pretty important. Interviews like this, I think, have great uh, relevance and significance and hopefully you enjoy them. And number two, do yourself a favor. If you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep at night, you use sheets, stay tuned to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.